It's a bit like parking in central London. If you take your car into the city of London and you can drive around a few roads where you want to, say you're in Knightsbridge or something, you drive around a few roads and you miss you miss every car pulling out and leaving a space. But if you but if you park up and watch 12 spaces, sooner or later one of those 12 spaces will become empty and somebody will come back to their car and leave and you're and you're in, you're parked. And it's a bit like that, I think, with street photography. I like I like to stand in a good spot where I can see s- several good shots or potential shots and just wait, you know, watching them all. And sooner or later something will happen. Welcome to the Photo Mentors Podcast. This week's guest is street and commercial photographer Nick Turpin. Nick started his career as a staff photographer at The Independent and then he headed off into the world of advertising and commercial photography, all shot in his street documentary style. Now, Nick actually uses the term candid public photography to describe what he does as it's really more about how humans interact in a variety of different public spaces, not obviously just the literal street. Nick is probably best known for his on the night bus project where he photographed people through the steamed up windows of a London night bus. It's a project that he goes on to talk about later in this episode, as well as his The French Autos and Exodus projects, the latter of which he actually shot during London being in lockdown during 2020. As usual, I asked Nick the same 10 questions that I asked everybody else. And what follows is a really interesting insight into how Nick takes his images. If you're interested in street photography or documentary photography, then you're sure to learn a lot from this episode. In fact, there's something there regardless of what type of photography you do. And that's really what I want Photo Mentors to be about. Talking to other photographers and filmmakers, learning more about their processes, and then reflecting on what we do ourselves. Now, enough of me. Let's crack on and get into conversation with Nick Turpin. So, Nick, thank you very much for agreeing to come on the Photo Mentors podcast. Um, We start off by doing some very quick questions, kind of getting to know you ones. And then we go into a deep dive where we talk more about your photography and what you do. And hopefully I'll learn something, which means that the audience will all learn something listening. Um, so first up, I hope so. First camera. What was your first camera? I think my first camera was a little Olympus OM10. Uh, I think my, it was given to me by my father when I started doing photography at school. Uh, yeah, some friends, uh, two other lads, and myself when we were comprehensive school, we reopened the school's darkroom, tidied it all up, and got it got it working again, and. Um, yeah, I think that was that's that's how I came to have my first camera, the little Olympus OM10. And right now, you're gonna leave the house. What's we're gonna go camera and lens? So, what camera and lens are coming in your camera bag? Yeah, it's it's easy because uh, the lens is fixed to the camera. Um, I love the little X100 range of Fujifilm cameras, so I would probably take the X100V, which is their their latest one. Um, which has a little 23mm lens on it, which is, you know, you can do so many things with that. I'm a street photographer and uh, it, it's, a, it's just a perfect sort of general view camera. So that's that's what I would take with me. It's a good all-rounder. You're the second person to mention that camera and I've only done five of these. So um, yeah, that's a uh, fair play to Fuji, the X100 there. Joe Allen also said that it would be the camera that he took with him to um, to shoot street and, and travel with. So uh, it's Fuji, you're obviously doing something right with it. Yeah, you can you know you can do portraits up close, but it's got the quality for standing back and and doing a landscape or a cityscape, and um, and the lens is just perfect for street photographers from one side of the pavement to the other. 
and it's super quick to use, very, very lightweight, just fits in the palm of your hand. There's so many good things about it. And, you know, when a, com when a, when a company develops a camera over a period of years, you know, um, they kind of uh, get rid of all the little wrinkles. And I, that's where that's the stage that I think Fuji have got to with the X100V. It's, uh, you know, they've ironed out all the wrinkles and it really is a lovely little machine now. It's a great camera. I really like it as well. <laughs> um, what else is coming in your camera bag that is non-photographic? Well, as a street photographer, anything I put in my camera bag, I have to carry with me for, for miles and miles. So I'm quite aware of what I put in there. So most days I, I, I keep it to an absolute minimum. So I have a waterproof, which I take with me everywhere, um, and probably a lens cloth, and then just the spare bits and pieces. Um, yeah, probably just the waterproof is the only thing which is non-photographic that I stick in there. I literally try to keep, um, you know, as few things in there as possible. little battery maybe to... Uh, for my phone if I'm out all day in the city but um yeah I'm very aware of every gram that I that I put in there okay and I think we we'll probably guessed the answer to this already but what's your where's your favorite place to take photographs <laughs> well I could say the street but I'm I'm rather fascinated by the public realm in general um you know as soon as you cross the uh your kind of doorstep into the public space. I think you're in a relationship with society when you do that. And that, that's the thing that fascinates me. So I'd say the public realm, you know, parks and mm -hmm. galleries and anywhere that the public come and go freely. I love to go and uh, and watch them and make pictures. What is it about that that fascinates you? I guess, uh, you know, photography, I, I consider myself a documentary photographer so I have no real interest in working in a studio or creating fictions. I'm interested in reality and real life. And I'm also quite interested, I think, in sort of culture, our cultural life, our social life, um, you know, sort of the history of, of the street. Um, it, it's all there played out in public, you know, what people wear, the technology they're carrying, uh, eating their sandwiches out of a plastic triangle. Um, you know, all these things change. If I look at historical photographs of London, you know, people aren't carrying mobile phones and so on. It's, it's the pictures that we make in public places create this rather interesting record, I think. And, um, you know, I think that's that's the fascination for me. It's all part of that um, documenting of the space that, that, that interests me. How many camera bags do you own? <laughs> uh, a lot, but um, <laughs> most of them are up the garage and I don't use them very regularly. Um, I have three which I use, I guess, for work. So um, I have two little rucksacks. One is very, very slim line waterproof rucksack, um, which I take doing just candid street photography. I have a bigger rucksack, which I take on, you know, editorial or photojournalistic sort of jobs, which will take two DSLRs and two or three lenses. And um, and then I have an even bigger sort of uh, bag, which... Uh, which will be for sort of advertising jobs where I'm shooting tethered and taking a laptop and uh, taking a you know a power source and all sorts of different things. So yeah, three stages of uh, of rucksack I have. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's I'm very similar at the moment. I've um, yeah I've got the little shoulder bag and then two different backpacks and then a load of other backpacks that are just kind of I'm trying to get rid of but can't quite bring myself to do it so they're just yeah they're in storage at the moment and one day I'll be like right you know I can actually get rid of these they no longer serve a purpose I'm sorted as far as camera bags are done now <laughs> I um, think if you haven't used it in the last three years it could probably go I, I've got huge pelican cases and things up the, up in the up in storage that I don't um, 
you know don't really use anymore it's just difficult i think in your head you think oh but there's going to be that time where you know i might need to go and do this and then you you keep storing (laughs) stuff and yeah it just gets stored for that just in case like like all those bits in the kitchen drawer um okay let's go on with the main questions then (laughs) so what is the image that you've shot that means the most to you well if i exclude uh sort of family photographs which mean a lot to me for other reasons like you know sentimental reasons um i think it's probably and if i exclude some of the, the projects that i've done um i guess there's a picture i took when i was just switching from working in black and white to working in color one of the first color pictures i made on the street and it's a photograph of two guys uh wearing hard hats two workmen walking uh, walking towards the camera and to the right of them are two men in suits with bald heads Mm. that look very vulnerable and they're walking away from the camera and this is just very nice juxtaposition and I like it because it's one of the first pictures that I took which kind of I felt worked on different levels so I think prior to that you know I was making pictures that that were funny they were humorous observations They they were rather like Elliot Erwitt he was a big influence on me and um you know, so you, you looked at them and you laughed. But this picture, I felt, also had this sort of, you know, it made a record of the way that the City of London was changing and the fact that in the City of London, the land values are so high that really you see all, you know, all you see in the City of London are men in suits and construction workers. Yeah. And so this picture initially makes you laugh and smile, but uh, it also, as time has gone on, I've realised has made, you know, this a record of, of London in the 2000s, you know, when, uh, you know, every square foot is being redeveloped constantly and, um, you know, the city is changing. And, and even now, looking back at that picture, which I probably took about 18, 19 years ago now, probably, um, you know, even if I go back there now, there's a crossrail station has been built there and the cafe on the corner has turned into something else, you know, and the Broadgate Centre behind has been redeveloped um, and looks different. So even in that short time since I took the picture to now, it's become even more of an interesting historical document to me, you know. Is that important for you as a legacy? Is that kind of one of your your goals is to create kind of an archive of these images to look back on? Or is it sort of coincidental and it's just a nice byproduct of what you do? I think partly um, I like to leave behind a record. I, I enjoy looking at the pictures of London that photographers have made in the past and, and contributing to that I think is is an is a satisfying thing to do but i think really if i'm honest for street photography is kind of a more selfish thing for me i think i find out about the world and my place in it through watching other people and seeing how other people behave i I like to to sort of analyze the society that i'm living in and its values um and, and just how people behave in a public place i think is very interesting it's very revealing if you've got your eyes open um and i think you know Maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but that's partly why I've moved from these single uh, image street photographs with a self-contained story uh, to doing series and projects like On the Night Bus and uh, Autos and you know some of these series that I've done, which have gone on to sort of explore some of those issues that interest me a little bit more. Uh, so I think, you know, the Elliot Hurwitz sort of funny pictures, I love doing those. It was my, my entry into street photography. But I feel like I, I, I'm demanding more now from myself and from and from candid public photography. Let's bring it back down a little bit. 
What has been your best photographic accessory purchase? Well, you know, I have a little viewfinder which fits on the back of my cameras. Um, so it's, uh, it's this is more for when I'm working, I guess, because, you know, as a street photography, it's difficult to make a living taking street photographs. Mm. I obviously do a yeah. lot of commercial work. And um, when I'm out in the street, it's, I often find it very difficult to judge the picture that I've just taken to see what's going on, you know, um, the exposure, that everything's sharp, everything's in the right place, that sort of thing, especially when I'm working with an art director or whatever. And um, so this little LCD sort of viewfinder fits onto the back of my Canons. And it's like a little portable dark cloth almost. It allows me to just put it to my eye. I wear it around my neck when I'm, when I'm working. And I, it just snaps on with a magnet. I can very quickly zoom in and out of the image, move around, check everybody's expression, make sure everyone's got their eyes open, uh, all that kind of thing. Um, and sometimes if I'm working with my Canons on a very wide, fast lens, you know, 51.2 or something. I actually shoot through the viewfinder, through the LCD screen at the back with this little viewfinder, because it allows me to zoom in and check the critical focus on somebody's eyes, then zoom out and take the shot. Um, I don't always trust the autofocus for those sorts of things when I'm, you know, really, really wide open like that. If you've got half a centimetre of depth of field moving backwards and forwards, you know, you need to know it's on the eyes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I find it a brilliant tool for helping me see, you know, what I'm shooting and what I'm what I'm actually getting um, without having to, you know, always tether to a laptop or send pictures to an iPad separately, which can often sort of break your flow. If you're trying to recreate your street photography for a commercial client, you know, you, you want to work as closely um, in the same way kind of thing as you get your street photographs as you can. So yeah, that's probably been the most useful little little thing which uh, which I've probably bought. What are you currently learning, or what was the last thing that you learned? Um, well, this is an interesting question actually because um, I've taken the advantage of lockdown to teach myself a lot of new skills and really actually quite change direction in a way. So uh, when lockdown first started, I, I thought I would look around and see what other photographers were doing, how they were, were picturing it, how they were responding to it. And I saw a lot of various things emerging, you know, a lot of portraits through windows at the beginning, uh, um, which and some of them were very nice. And then a lot of empty streets, um, you know, people recording the deserted streets um, and then sort of still live, lots of pictures of masks on the pavement and things like that, discarded masks and stuff. And, you know, I kind of thought, well, I'd see what everyone's doing before I kind of dive in and I felt like you know I shoot a lot in the financial district I always have I, I've always been drawn to the financial district of London and I, I felt like that's what I wanted to record because um, you know I, I had some work there for one of my clients transport for London and I was in the city and it was just so bizarre to be in this place which is so busy um, and has this incredible hugely expensive infrastructure the financial district you know all those those offices and and banks and insurance companies and financiers it's all you know just I just really all this glass and steel was just humming away there and I, I felt this is what I want to photograph but I didn't feel like the kitten that I was normally using was kind of right for it I felt like I'm you know I'm generally photographing people so I want a small fast camera like the X100V but um for the city to photograph the spaces the empty spaces and the architecture I felt like I needed a new tool and um, and so I invested in a, you know, a tilt shift lens, one of Canon's tilt shift lenses, which is an expensive item and something I've not used before. 
because I really wanted to control the way that I was photographing these spaces and these buildings. Um, and I loved it, I have to say. When I first went out, um, I found it difficult to use. It was a real leap for me. I had to really practice with it. Um, you know, I, I would uh, frame up the scene and then adjust the shift. And I was, I'd find myself, con you know, compensating. So I'd be shifting up and then looking down with the camera at the same time. So I had to really kind of train myself to use this thing handheld. Obviously, they're designed really to be used on a tripod. Uh, but as a street photographer, I wanted to try and use this, this handheld. So that was the starting point. So I shot a project using that, which is um, this uh, project called Exodus that I did, showing the empty streets. And and this kind of kind of really got me interested in in architectural photography a little bit, which, which you know I've always been interested in design and architecture, but uh, I felt like this could be a very interesting area for me to 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 explore, because I've always been interested in the public realm, and this is almost like an extension of street photography in a way. It's where I always work, but it's focusing not on the people but on the, the spaces and the structures. Um, so the last few weeks and months, I have been shooting quite a lot of architectural photography, quite a lot of buildings at all different times of the day. And I've been sort of researching the techniques that architectural photographers use, you know, shooting multiple frames to, to retain highlights and shadow detail and all this kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, that's basically what I've been doing. And now, actually, I'm actually, uh, you know, one of the jobs I'm actually working on at the moment is, uh, is for a developer shooting actually the development of a building um, which has come out of that. It's one of the first jobs I'm shooting with these this this new uh, new equipment and these new techniques that I've learnt over over lockdown. That's great. I think that's how it should be, shouldn't it? A sort of a personal body of work should be something that you're interested in, interested in learning. Then obviously the idea is that that then shapes the kind of work that you you want to do. So to immediately sort of be able to use those skills and use them commercially and to make it part of your living is well, kind of every photographer's dream. Do you think it will influence your street photography using the, the sort of tilt-shift lens? Well, certainly the Exodus project, I, I still consider that street photography, really. I mean, I'm wandering around, nothing is staged, it's completely candidly shot. Um, and I find these beautiful scenes and kind of lay in wait, set a little trap, I suppose, for mm. people to walk through um, and be in the right place. So... Um, you know, expanding what street photography is and can be is something which I'm very interested in doing. And uh, I think there's a lot, a lot of interesting photography being done where street photography meets photojournalism, uh, where street photography meets, you know, art photography and so on. Um, I think those are quite interesting areas of development. Um, I mean, I'm very keen for street photography to remain a documentary, you know, way of working. Um I think if you started staging images or manipulating them in post-production and so on, it would become something else and you're crossing a line. But within those sort of interesting boundaries of documentary photography, I think, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of really quite interesting work being done. You know, I'm very interested now in photographers who are actually working in those areas. I mean, for example, there's a photographer, Nick Han, who's, um, you know, he's sort of a photojournalist really but he shoots in, in a way like in such a beautifully observed way like a street photographer each of his individual photographs is a self-contained beautiful story and yet they hung together to tell a story perhaps about the Mediterranean or or um, you know the Soviet Union or wherever he's been shooting so um, you know I kind of consider him half a street photographer half a, a photojournalist you know so there's lots of people like that who I think are working in, in very interesting areas and making very interesting work how would you define 
street photography or would you not even kind of bother is, is it kind of that open to interpretation and it, rightly so i'm really in favor of a broad definition really i mean i i've i've you know, thought about this a few years ago and I thought, you know, street photography is a phrase that we've inherited. I don't think it particularly describes what we do, you know. I mean, it's much more than being about a, just a place. Uh, it's, it's an approach, really. But, you know, I use the phrase candid public photography. I've used it a couple of times in this interview already. And, I, and it's, a, it's a phrase which I think actually describes what we do. So the pictures are candidly shot. They're not staged. Um, they're all in a public place, not just the street, any public place, you know, a park or, or an art gallery or a shopping centre or whatever anywhere the public come and go. And then it's photography. And the word photography means drawn with light. It doesn't mean drawn with a computer afterwards. So I think if you're if you're doing a great deal of post-production on your work, um, you know, spending more time on the computer than you did with the camera, I would suggest that perhaps you're not doing street photography, you know. So I think those three words actually rather nicely encapsulate what I consider to be street photography, but, but still leave a very broad, you know, sort of... Um, uh, a very broad description or very inclusive kind of uh, definition. Okay, moving on to the next question. <laughs> Who or what has been the biggest influence on your photography? Yeah, this is a really difficult question, isn't it? Because I'm somebody who draws on draws on lots of influences in my work and not just photographers, but, you know, art and painting and uh, the history of art. And to single out a single person is very, very difficult. <laughs> um, I think probably if I had to choose one, I would say the American photographer Joel Meyerowitz, probably. Um, you know, when I do talks, I show an image of his that he took in Paris in 1967 of uh, a young guy. It's called Fallen Man, a picture of a young guy having a fit or on, on the, lying on the ground outside a, a metro station in Paris. And this picture is the most incredibly complex story you can look around this frame there's like 18 people in the picture there's a, a, a street full of cars um and there's such wonderful things going on in this picture the guy on the ground is wearing a suit you know he's like a white collar worker there's another guy stepping over him with a, with a hammer and he's a blue collar worker he's in like overalls and there's just this lovely clash not just physically but of uh sort of class i suppose if you like working class and and you know and uh you know this uh, this suited guy um there's just so much happening in this one picture it, it's it's the picture that made me realize how much you could do with a single frame mm. and i you know you, you know i i worked for nearly a decade at the independent newspaper uh, in um, the late 80s early 90s and um you know i was a newspaper photographer i was recording and shooting stories for them and often i'd go and shoot a story you know i'd go to ascot or something and shoot you know come back with 10 or 15 pictures that that told the story of the day and this was kind of a revelation to me seeing joel's picture that you know how much you can do with one frame and i think that really set me on the way to being a street photographer and also joel was also the author of bystander um, he and Colin Weston, Westerbeck, a curator and, and writer on photography, uh, the two of them published Bystander, The History of Street Photography. And, you know, that was, well, that was the first kind of uh, compendium of street photography, I guess. And I think reading that, you know, his book also made me realise, you know, that's what that's what I am. That's what I want to do. Uh, so, yeah, he's been quite a big influence on me. And, you know, now I've, I've met him quite a few times and um he knows that, you know, he knows this, that, um, you know, I, he's a big influence on, on me. 
and uh, recently they, they recently they republished Bystander. They updated every few years, and um, and now I have one of my street photographs in the book, the book Amazing. that kind of inspired me. Wow, uh, you know, twenty years ago. So, you know, that's very very nice to sort of contribute to the history of street photography myself in in that way. What what more could you ask for as a street photographer? Do you want to tell me what image you've got featured in the book? Uh, yes, it's a picture that I took. I was living in France for nine years and uh, when my children were small. And I, I didn't really know the country and I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with it. And I set off uh, to photograph the 25 biggest cities in France and I did this project called The French. And in a small alpine village, I saw a young lad about 12 or 13 uh, he came out of a doorway with the most enormous tricolour flag, mm. and it was all it was all faded and dated. It looked like a very old flag, and he started waving this flag so dramatically that it just looked like it reminded me of like revolutionary France. Yeah, it looked like liberty leading the people. You know, this mm. famous historical reference. You know, I was saying earlier that I'm influenced by painting and lots of lots of other things, and um, you know, I studied history of art, and and I love modern contemporary photographs that reference uh, art history in that way. And that picture is a favourite of mine. And I found out basically they were, his his family were clearing the attic of the house and they found his grandfather's Second World War tunic and flag in the, in the attic. And that's, and that, and I was passing just at the moment that he wow. ran out into the street to, to wave it. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's the picture that's in uh, the current edition of Bystander, I'm gonna go which is, which up. is a great book. If you're interested in street photography, uh, Bystander, a history of street photography is terrific. Street photography now is a great survey of the modern scene. Um, you know, there's some really terrific books out there if you want to uh, find out more about it. That's an amazing moment of chance, though, isn't it? To happen to be passing just as something seemingly quite insignificant, like happens. Like, you know, they wouldn't have mm. been thinking anything like that. And then just for you to be going by as a photographer and pulling out the camera and just recording that moment it's um yeah when you it's unrepeatable yes yeah. i think that's what the great thing about street photographs uh particularly i mean street photographs are part of the documentary tradition and a lot of photojournalism is also unrepeatable you know you're photographing history happening and so on but there's something about um you know capturing a little unrepeatable moment of everyday life that's uh, really has always appealed to me okay so which or what photographic technique do you wish that you learnt much earlier in your career in your photographic journey hmm this is actually one of the hardest questions isn't it um there's so many things um i guess with street photography which has probably been the majority of my, my practice over the last 30 years uh this is my 32nd year of doing doing this as, as a as a living um you know various things which have come along which I, you know, I've adopted, like back back button focusing, for example, is fantastic. That's something which I always teach young street photographers. Um, I, I suppose, you know, there are techniques that I use now as a street photographer. I used to go out and just walk the streets, and often I'd come back with nothing. I had no real strategies. You know, I was very much relying on coming across a fantastic picture, or you know, my hit rate was quite low. I suppose. And I think basically I've learned to use, you know, scenes. I think, you know, I think a great street photograph is is beautifully composed and it's a fantastic moment. Those two things in the same frame generally, you know, make great a great street photograph. And I've learned, I guess, that really you can find a fantastic scene that's beautifully lit 
and you've almost got half your picture already there in front of you. Yeah. You know, you just need the, you just need the moment. You need the actors, the players to come along. And, um, and I think since I've started using, I mean, that's one of the strategies that I, that I use. And I think, you know, my hit rate is much higher now that I, I find these beautiful scenes and I compose them. I'm very disciplined. I stand there and I don't change the frame. You know, I, I stand exactly on the same spot until something wonderful happens in front of me. And, um, you know, I think there. so, you know, that's one example of a number of different strategies, which I now kind of use when I'm shooting and, and, uh, you know, help me make many more pictures than I, than I used to, I think. No, that's a useful bit of advice because, um, obviously working for years, I am a photographer magazine and still testing cameras. Now we, you'd leave the camera would come in, you'd get it out of the box, you'd put the battery on charge. And then within an hour, you'd be like, right, I've got to go because I've got a deadline on this. And you'd look back and I'd taken a few hundred images and none of them would ever really stand out because you're you're kind of walking and you're looking for pictures, but you're never really stopping and looking for pictures. I was just kind of walking. Whereas I think mm. if, like you say, the, the times where I've had a better success rate are the times where I've just said, I'm going to go to hang around this building for an hour because I know the light's going to be great. And then I'll stop and I'll take, you know, two, I'll have, you know, I'll walk away with, two three four images where i'm you know really pleased with them out of the sort of 20 30 you may have taken but you always kind of know when you've got it you know you know when you've got that one image like you say because something's mm. just happened and i think a lot of it's patience as well i'm not a particularly patient i always think person. it's a bit like it's a bit like parking in central london if you take your car into the city of london there are you know it's, i mean obviously at the moment it's slightly different but generally it's very difficult to park yeah and you can drive around a few roads where you want to say you're in Knightsbridge or something, you drive around a few roads and you miss, you miss every car pulling out yeah. and leaving a space. Yeah. But if you, but if you park up and watch 12 spaces, sooner or later, one of those 12 spaces will become empty and somebody will come back to their car and leave and you're, and you're in, you're parked. And it's a bit like that. I think with street photography, I That's like, brilliant. I like to stand yeah. in a good spot where I can see s several good shots or potential shots and just wait, you know, watching them all, and sooner or later, something will happen. I've even had occasions where I've been standing on a street corner and two fantastic things have happened simultaneously. And I've had to choose which one to photograph. Um, you know, I had a particularly painful experience on a corner of New York once when um, I, was, I was watching a security guard was lowering a big flag, giant flag from a flagpole. And as it came down closer and closer to the ground, I began to realise quite how big this thing was. It was like five or six metres and just as it was getting close to him and beginning to envelop him and beginning to make a nice picture, on the opposite corner, there was a there was a delivery guy standing in the back of a UPS van, and he had his hands in the loops either side of the the shutter door at the back, yep. and he had a little beard and he looked exactly like Jesus Christ on the cross. <laughs> he, his arms were stretched out. He had one loop, one wrist through one loop and one wrist through the other loop on the other side of the shutter, and he just for a moment there. And I literally, oh my God, these, these are two amazing photographs. Which one am I going to go for? And I went, I went with the flag. But I, I often wonder about the, uh, the UPS delivery guy. I remember, yeah. I don't know <laughs> if you remember, we, we were, um, you did a, a photo walk around East London uh, to promote a, a company's camera a little. I remember. Must have been quite a while ago. And I remember we turned a corner. We were just sort of around Brick Lane, somewhere around there, maybe. I can't exactly remember where. And mm. there was about three kind of 
English, Italian, I think. They may have been Turkish. I can't remember, but they were kind of Mediterranean guys and yeah. they were trying to get an ice cream fridge through a yeah, door for a, a shop doorway. and it didn't fit. I mean, it kind of did. That They obviously they were had pushing about, and pulling and about, shoving. Yeah, there was about a millimetre play to get this thing through and then all of a sudden they've got about 10 or 15 photographers around them. And I often think actually the photo probably was the fact there were all these photographers standing around these three quite irate and frustrated looking guys. But yeah, I just remember the light wasn't very good and I I couldn't get, I couldn't for the life of me get a photo, partly because there were so many other photographers trying to get the shot. But yeah, it's it's all about those, you never know what's going to happen and just those little moments just like you say, finding the humour in it or finding the kind of, whoa, that's amazing. And, and when I go when I go to do street photography, you know, I, I'll go, I'll, I'll arrive at London Bridge and get off the train and I'll start walking and I'm just looking for a reason to stop. And it doesn't have to be a very big reason. It can actually be quite a small thing. Uh, it could just be a reflection of something in a window or just the light is really beautiful, you know, bouncing off two, two, two skyscrapers or something. You know, it can be a very small thing, but I'm just looking for that, that first thing, you know, when you, I, I, I curate pictures together. So I'm looking for the first element and then I can try and find the second and third element to, to get in the frame at the same time. And that's how I build up more and more complex pictures when I'm on mm. the streets. So I'm always looking for the first thing. Sometimes it can be a mobile thing. You know, you, you, you come out the station and someone walks past carrying a great big lampshade, you know, or, or, or you know, a great big pot plant or something. And I think, I just think there it is. And I follow them. You know, that's how the hard hats picture happened. I was following the the guys with the bald heads, you know, and the hard hats men came the other way. So often the first thing can be something static or it can be something, you know, mobile. It's just, um, it's just being able to recognize that it's, that it's worth stopping for or worth following. Um, You know, that's, you develop an instinct for that, I think. How sort of self-conscious do you feel? Because you've been doing it so long now, I guess, that it's something you must get used to. But do you ever still feel sort of self-conscious? Do you, are you, do you try and be very discreet and unseen? Or, you know, what's your kind of mm. approach to that? Well, you know, I actually think there are some people who are invisible on the streets and can can learn to be. And there are other people who never, never master it, you know. Um, I have a street photographer friend who's got about 15 pictures of people giving him the finger. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's just, he, he just seems to be one of those people who, who get spotted, you know, people see him taking a picture. Um, you know, I'm six foot three with a shaved head and I, I just present myself on the street in a way that's very inoffensive, I think. And, you know, I don't make eye contact with people that I want to photograph. I, if I see a scene, I, I want to watch it unfold. So I don't want them to see me. You know, I use the small camera, obviously, and I have all sorts of little techniques for, you know, if they, if they look at me, you know, I even sometimes have a map with me or an apple or something, you know, I'll do something else if they look up uh, just so that they, to give them a reason why I'm hanging around or whatever. And, um, you know, I just it's just never really been a problem for me, I guess. I've never really felt self-conscious because nobody really sees me. I, I feel like I'm gliding through the streets a bit like a, a little ghost, you know. I can't really tell you how or why exactly. I mean, I try and teach that when I do workshops and things, but um, I think it's very much to do with the way that you present yourself. You know, you don't want to look like a photographer and I don't don't carry lots of DSLRs and that kind of thing. Just to, you know, I look like a tourist almost, I guess. Do you still shoot through the viewfinder? Oh, I only, sh- I only shoot through the viewfinder, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I never hit shoot from the hip. I never use the LCD screen because composition is so crucial to my mm-hmm. photographs. 
um, that, you know, I mean, I, the other thing I do is I always shoot with the same camera and the same focal lengths. Uh, um, you know, if someone comes on a workshop with me and they bring a zoom, I tape it up. I, I set it at, <laughs> you know, 35 millimeter equivalent yeah. and put a bit of gaffer tape on and just say, leave that zoom with your feet. You haven't got time for zooming in and out. You know, it breaks your empathy and your connection with the, the people you're photographing to be doing too much with the camera. You know, you need to do have as little, as little to do with the camera as possible. Um, I mean, you know, I often say to people that street photography has really got nothing to do with actually making pictures in some ways. It all happens in your head, you know, recognising an amazing picture, getting yourself in the right position for it all to come together. The actual exposure, making making a record of it, is, is almost just the last element, really. And I think, you know, quite often I see pictures and take them even when I'm out without my camera, which is which is rare. But, you know, it's an intellectual process, street photography. It's it, You see someone's cleverness there. You see their wit when you look at, a series of really great street photographs you know it's something to admire and i think that's you know that's what really appeals to me about it as well so what has been your favorite photographic failure and what did you learn from it uh <laughs> uh yeah using the word favorite is quite difficult for a failure for me but um yeah i mean it's my but yes my I, I have is... a good failure i can tell you about okay but... <laughs> let's do it let's do it i'll shut up <laughs> but it's not something i like to dwell on really i wouldn't say it's a favorite um no i guess i guess you know in terms of experiences and learning um you know i left the independent newspaper and became a commercial photographer and i started doing sort of annual reports and things like that some you know working for design companies um, and then I got my first kind of really big campaign um, in in America and shoot, shooting in New York. And you know, I, hadn't, I hadn't been out there very much. I, I wasn't very familiar with it there and, and the system there. And so I was working for a big agency, Ogilvy and May, there in New York. And we were shooting um, uh, for a computer company called SAP, I think it is. And they were, it was like a black and white ad. And it was, it was in a hotel, uh, the W Hotel in Times Square. So it cost us a fortune to hire it. And, you know, I let I let them talk me into working in a way which I don't normally work. Um, so they made me shoot this ad. They, you know, they love the spontaneity and the humour in my work, the observational sort of documentary sense of my work. But they wanted me to shoot it on a Hasselblad you know, with a digital back tethered to an iMac um, with like 30 people in the room, all these clients and people were there. You know, I had a dozen assistants. It just became a great big entourage. And, you know, I shot this thing, uh, but I wasn't happy with it. I don't think the art director was happy with it. Uh, the ad ra- ran, you know, I mean, they they used it and it was, it was all, it wasn't a disaster kind of, it wasn't unusable. It's just, it wasn't my work. It didn't have the feeling and quality of my work. And I've never done that again. I've never allowed anybody, you know, to talk me into using bigger cameras and so on. I mean, partly the little cameras that I use, like the Fuji now have such great sensors in them, you know, time's moved on. This was a few years ago, but, um, you know, I always say to, you know, students and so on, when you get a commercial job, shoot it exactly the way that you shot the portfolio that got you that job. Yep. You know, do, do not let them talk you into, um, you know, doing things differently. Be a prima donna about it. Really put your foot down because, you know, everybody will be disappointed if you don't. So I guess that, you know, it's kind of a bit of a failure. And, uh, you know, I was being paid a lot of money and, and there were big expectations. Um 
and you want everybody to be delighted when you when you're doing those sorts of jobs. Uh, so yeah, I only did that once and never again. And now now I probably have a bit of a reputation for sort of saying nope, I'm going to do it my way. No, no, I'm not. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. You know. That um, that anecdote is why exactly why I asked this question because there's a real learning there for everybody out there, and it comes back to what we we mentioned right at the start was, you know, you you do the work in a certain way to get the jobs that you kind of want to do and obviously that was a turning point for you in terms of right I've I've learned something from this and you know that's that's not going to happen again and you know that's a great takeaway I think for anybody listening as well Hmm. yeah I think I think that's that's really important I would say also you know it's it's not really a failure but uh, another big lesson for me I think very early on was was when I went to an ad agency. I was I was shooting at that time. I was kind of shooting lit portraits on location. You know, I did um, like surfers on the beach. I'd take down a huge soft box and light them. Uh, you know, beautiful soft lighting and this kind of thing. And and I went to an ad agency with a few of these in my portfolio and a little bit of street photography at the back. And the art buyer went through my portfolio and she got you know she she just closed the book and she looked at me and she said. Don't try to be Annie Lebovitz. We can afford her. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can afford to commission Annie Lebovitz herself. We don't, you know, this street photography at the back. This is you. This is what you should be doing. This is this is your sense of humour. This is your character. Um, you know, be yourself, and success and money will come. And she was absolutely right. And um, so, you know, not, as a photographer, not trying to be somebody else, not reproducing, you know, the work of your heroes, but actually finding your own unique way of doing things is absolutely crucially important and i think you know that was a really big lesson and and actually learning that lesson early on kind of really propelled me forward i think uh, i you know i had faith in my own kind of you know showing showing street photography to to ad agencies and they you know and it worked you know i mean i had i did a lot of work for many years based on just a portfolio of, of funny pictures made in uh, piccadilly circus and oxford street you know <laughs> That's brilliant. yeah another great bit of advice so what has been your favorite photography project? Oh well, this is this is an easy this is an easy one for me to answer I think. Um so I did a project called On the Night Bus and this came about when I was uh, I was still living in uh, East Dulwich in southeast London and I was waiting for somebody outside a, fr- a friend outside a cafe and it was in the winter and a bus pulled past and I was just, just because I was standing there not doing anything else, I watched all the people on this on this bus all travelling home to the suburbs from the financial district of London. And, you know, it was cold and wet and there was rain on the windows and there's condensation inside because everybody everybody was wearing wet clothes and, you know, the bus was full and they were all breathing hot air. And it just looked like a painting. I just looked at one of these upstairs windows and I just got a sense of a, a person, a little a mirage, a figure behind the a presence, I suppose, behind the glass. And I just thought, wow, that's beautiful. If you if you cut out all of the street, all the rest of the bus, all these people walking past, that little that little view there through that window is absolutely stunning. How can I how can I do that? How can how can I make that work as a photographer? And uh, you know, that's that was like the beginning of it all. Uh, and I just you know, it took me a while to work out a technique, long using long lenses, shooting at night, image stabilized uh, Canon lenses, and and uh, and I found a place to do it. I did the project. I shot it all at Elephant Castle on the raised mezzanine out of the Elephant Castle shopping centre, which you know, 
I believe is is gone, is going, it's being locked yeah. down, isn't it? Yeah. You know, this is what I'm talking about history happening. You know, it's, it's like every time, every project you do records the state of things as they are, because they're going to change within a year or two years or three years. You know, the scene will change, the building you took it from will change, the people will, you know, will, will be gone. Um, so, so yeah, basically I spent three years, three winters shooting that project and... Uh, the Sunday Times magazine published it, and uh, and then Hoxton Mini Press, the, the little lovely little boutique publishers in um, in uh, southeast London, uh, northeast London, sorry, Hackney. Um, you know, they approached me about doing a book, and uh, they they produced a beautiful little book of fifty two images, and and I guess I guess the reason it's it's my favourite project, I think, is because it just seemed to resonate. It was just so well received. You know, I've never done a piece of work that has resonated with people as much as this as this project, um, and that was just really, really nice. I, you know, I had just had just inundated with emails and people wanting to buy prints, and um, and it was just so lovely to have such a response to something that you produced. I think that that's why it was my favourite. I think, and I think people just saw themselves in these pictures. You know, not everyone's been in that situation, travelling home late at night. In a, in a big anonymous city where you don't know anybody or expect to see anybody that you that you know. Um, and the pictures were, they were a lovely combination. They were documentary pictures. So they're just, you know, just people on the bus, but they looked beautiful. The colours, um, the condensation, they looked very painterly. Um, and I was talking earlier to you about, you know, where street photography meets art. And I think this is a good example. You know, I think, I still actually consider that street photography that's can, it's a candid public photograph but not not traditional 35 millimeter sort of Cartier-Bresson street photography which you know we kind of associate with that phrase um and that you know that's what appeals to me now I think working in that sort of area where the pictures are stunning but they're documentary made they're completely completely documentary pictures of real life but beautiful if I can do that you know I'm happy it's a great set of photographs I really like them it's interesting because I you know, before I knew your name or knew of you or anything like that, I remember seeing the photographs. I can't even remember where I remember seeing them, but I remember seeing them and thinking, wow, those are really cool. What a great idea. And it was um, it was almost like street art or something like that, the way they're framed because of the, the texture of the condensation. It's almost like it's been airbrushed or something like that. You know, they like you say, they do very much look like paintings. Having seen a lot on Instagram, it seems to be something that's, whether people are aware of your images or not aware, it seems to be something that's been imitated as well quite a few times. And I'm aware that you, you know of one case in particular where, you know, it's very much been imitated if it, that's a, probably a polite way of putting mm. it. How do you feel about that? I mean, is there some level of pride or is it, you know, or does it kind of make you angry or where do you, where do you kind of stand on... The, the line between inspiration and just sort of outright kind of plagiarism and stuff like that. Well, I mean, I I don't think you can get too upset about it. You know, we all put our work out there so much now, more than ever, you know, um, with with the, the internet and social media and image sharing. If you're going to get involved with all of those, you know, forms of, of reaching an audience, then you have to, you know, the flip coin, flip side of the coin is that, you know, you, you, your work is copied and people are inspired by you and, um, and, and want to make images in a similar way. Uh, I, I just think you have to accept that, you know, I mean, I get, 
I get a lot of school children, sixth form, sixth formers doing photography and, you know, writing to me about it and doing a project and so on and, and, and reproducing the pictures. And, you know, and I, and I really love all that. I've had painters get in touch who've reproduced the pictures as, as oil paintings and sent me, you know, pictures of those. You know, on the whole, it's a very nice experience. And, um, and you know, I mean, nothing is new. Photography is like 170 years old. It's it's very very difficult to produce something that you've never seen before, and um, and you know even my work, my project, the night bus, very similar in some respects. I mean, it's different, but it's similar to the the project that Michael Wolf did um, in Tokyo of of uh, commuters on the underground on the subway there. Um, so you know we're all influenced, and we all influence in in turn, and I think you just have to be part of that and and uh, and get on with it. I talk to you about like uh, apologies. I can't remember what you've called it, but your project photographing the reflections in car windows in Piccadilly Circus. That's yes, autos. That is, autos. yeah. I really yeah, like so, that. That's a great project. Thank you. Yeah, I mean that's a good example. Again, you see, I said that I'm interested in in kind of issues a little bit now. And when I went into central London with my young children, I realised how commercialised the spaces were. The public realm is increasingly being used for advertising and selling to us. And it, and it bothered me a little bit, even though I work as an advertising photographer, so which is ironic. Um, you know, that's how I finance my street photography. But, um, you know, you get in a taxi, there's an advert on the on the seat in front of you. You go to the toilet, there's an advert on the wall in front of you while you're you know, relieving yourself. And you walk to Piccadilly Circus or on the motorway, and there are adverts all the time. And I wanted to do something about that. You know, I wanted to show um, you know, how how advertising is omnipresent in our lives now. And and when I was in Piccadilly Circus, I realized that the light of those huge advertising panels the glow uh illuminates the hot the streets and the 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 people who are there so when you know when a coca-cola ad is is up everyone is bathed in coca-cola red light and when an xbox ad is up on the screen everyone's bathed in a green light you know that 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 particular pantone green that is you know xbox it's all branding it's all being sort of subconsciously absorbed by us all and i wanted to find a way of photographing that um so, you know, I wanted it to be documentary sort of approach. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to be setting anything up. Um, but I also wanted the pictures to be as beautiful as the night bus ones had been. You know, I wanted it to be very aesthetically strong. I started off by doing portraits of people, kind of candid portraits of people bathed in the light. But it wasn't giving me that kind of quality that I wanted. And then I'm, you know, I just saw these adverts reflected in the side of a shiny new Mercedes car which again, you know, is a product, a commercial sort of product. And I just thought, that's it, you know. It was it, the, it was like liquid light. And what I loved about it was it just reminded me of uh, pop art and, uh, you know, the way that the pop artists took branding and fonts and colours and, you know, like Warhol's Campbell's Soup Can and, you know, Lichtenstein's Screen Prints. Um, you know, I love the way that, that those sort of panels of colour um, it just it just reminded me of all of that, which was a lovely, lovely sort of art history echo in the pictures. Uh, also, I'd never seen anything like it. I had just never seen any pictures like that. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's a bonus. I've not seen anyone do that before. Um, it was quite tricky. You know, I shot on very long lenses, handheld at night. 
I had to walk into the traffic quite often, so I could only shoot while the lights were red, and I, and then you know I had to I had to leap out out the road, and I, it, was, it was a little bit dangerous <laughs> at times. I mean, sometimes I was like literally crouching down in the road as well, you know. So, um, but I'm really really pleased with the pictures, and you know they they make beautiful prints. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm always looking for a way to make documentary pictures that are also you know, really stunning to look at. That's why that's what I'd love to do. Tick those boxes, both those boxes if I can. You know, I always think that a photograph, a really good photograph, should stimulate the eyes, it should be visually stunning, it should stimulate the mind, you know, it should be it should it should be it should engage you kind of culturally or you know like by referencing art history or, or so on. Um but also have an emotional punch should engage and stimulate you sort of in the in the chest, in the heart. And I think if you can take pictures which sort of you know move you in all three places then you're doing something right, I guess. So what have you stopped doing and why have you stopped doing it? <laughs> okay, well, um, I think probably the answer to this question is uh, listening to other people. I've stopped listening to other photographers' views on the new work that I'm doing. <clears throat> I've had experiences where people have said to me, you know, they've, I've, I've been working on something and I've had a lot of criticism. You know, I share it with photographers. This happened once, you know, with the in public group that I, that I was, um, um, you know, running. Um, I actually showed them the, the night bus pictures early on mm -hmm. and they were really disparaging about them. Um, but one of the guys who, one of the older guys who's involved with in public, um, uh, Bryn Campbell, who was once a uh, picture editor of The Observer, a uh, very good photographer himself, quite quite an elderly man now, but a really, really, really terrific character. He emailed me saying, they're wrong. These are fantastic. You, you must pursue this project. And um, he was like a lone voice. And I, it made me realise, actually, you know, if you're creating something new, if you're trying to make something that nobody's done before, that's actually quite challenging for, for people in a way. I think people are a bit challenged by it all threatened by it almost and you know as a photographer and artist we are creating by definition new stuff you know we're trying to make new things um and that's extremely difficult to do to make something completely different and, and you know and new and you have to combine lots of things i suppose um to try and make something new there's a, it's a kind of alchemy there you know bringing different things together ideas location equipment you know an, a certain approach with each project and, and you know learning to kind of reinvent yourself a little bit um i mean the australian photographer trent park he's very good at doing that something i kind of learned from him he, he was one of the in public photographers and you know a lot of his pro he'll, he'll work 35 millimeter high contrast black and white on one project like minutes to midnight and then he'll shoot with a six seven mamir in color um doing huge prints with the next project and you know he's kind of constantly reinventing himself and actually i think recently he's been working in moving image he did a project about cricket in 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 film or video, and I think you know having the sort of confidence and boldness to to not rely on a formula and constantly reinvent yourself um, is 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 really really good. I'm getting off the question slightly here, but That's fine. Um, so you know my recent project, the Exodus series, to to go out and do street photography with a great big twenty four millimeter tilt shift lens <laughs> is not the obvious thing to do. You know, um, but it but it um, but it actually brought something to that that series of pictures, which really made it look different to what everybody else was doing. And um, and I think sometimes you have to you know cross pollinate from from other areas 
um, and learn from other people and using an architectural lens for street photography. Why not? It's not the obvious choice, but, you know, you have to try these things. So if you, I think if you listen to other people a little bit and go with the flow, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do anything new. So I think probably not listening to people too much and taking, you know, is probably, probably quite a good idea sometimes. So that actually leads nicely on to the, the next question, which is what is the worst bit of photographic advice that you've heard? Yes. Now, this, I think, is the hardest question for me. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a bit of a rule breaker, really. You know, I don't really, you know, as a photographer, I don't really, you know, take pictures in in, in the way that we're kind of all told we should. Um, so, you know, most advice about photography, I, I, I struggle with a little bit, really, because... You know, being creative is, is about breaking the rules sometimes. You know, the classic is, you know, don't pay, take a picture into the sun. But then, of course, there are the most incredible images made, you know, in the rain and things shooting into the sun when it's backlit. So, you know, every, every rule only applies to one circumstance. So, you know, it's it's very difficult. Um, yeah, I, I can't tell you a single one, a particular individual piece of advice that I think is is the worst bit i'm afraid you've answered it don't worry yeah that's, no, you know, it's, that's, it's... that's the perfect answer is that you know you <laughs> just do you know again you just do what you want to do and ignore any rules and ignore any techniques and just work yeah it out. avoid dogma photographic dogma yeah really. yeah um yeah we we were discussing this as well um last week when it's in one of the episodes where it's very easy to scroll down instagram and kind of not see anything because everything's the same. Mm -hmm. And all of a yep. sudden when something is very different for whatever reason, good, it might be bad, but you stop and you have a reaction, you have a response to it. Whereas if everything is following all the rules, everything's going to just look the same. I mean, I'm quite outspoken on the, on some of these forums and things like that. And, you know, I see people advising people to, to use filters and uh, and LUTs, you know, these lookup tables mm -hmm. and things like that. And I just dive in sometimes and I just say, you know, that's somebody else's work. You, you just you take a picture and then you apply somebody else's colour grading to it and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's probably my biggest bugbear at the moment on Instagram. But, um, you know, everybody's using these nostalgic filters and trying to make their pictures look, look like Sol, Sol Lighter, Kodachrome, you know, 64 kind of um, pictures. And I just can't bear that. You know, I just think it's... It's, uh, you know, if you, if, you, if, you, if you make your picture look good by pushing a button, uh, other than the shutter button, you know, just applying a, <clears throat> applying a filter that somebody else has made, um, you know, I don't, it's just, it's just too easy to do, isn't it? And it's just your work's going to look like everybody else's and it does. Um, you know, that, that the homo sort of homogenization of street photography on uh, Instagram, um, you know, has a lot to do with those, all those sort of filters and uh, things that everybody's all using the same. So last question, mm -hmm. and I guess this is just rounding up everything we've we've spoken about so far, but why do you keep taking photographs? What motivates you to keep going out there? Yeah, I guess, you know, I guess after 32 years of doing it for a living, um, I still find it a challenge, I suppose, um, and the challenge keeps on changing. Um you know, street photography 
is the most difficult thing I've ever tried to do with a camera. You know, advertising is quite hard. Fashion's hard. Doing sports photography is hard. Portraits, celebrity portraits, they're all difficult. None of them are as difficult as street photography. Going down to Oxford Street, making something out of nothing with a little camera and a standard lens and, you know, no lighting, no no models and, you know, styling or any of that. Just, just you know, it's, it's the bare tools. It's almost like the most basic form of photography, but um, but the hardest. And so, you know, it's that challenge, I think, that I keep wanting to address. Uh, and I just think there's always subjects, there's always issues, uh, and there's always, you know, there's always something waiting for you when you go out there. It's the potential of the street. Whenever you go to a public place, um, you know, it's just it's just changing constantly. It's constantly in flux. People coming, going, picking things up, putting things down, delivering things, vehicles pulling up, light changing. You know, it's just this incredible potential the whole time. And I just love that. I'm just constantly drawn to it. Um, you know, if I'm stuck at my desk working on something, you know, I just know that I'm missing a you know, hundreds of pictures on the streets of London. And if it's frustrating, you know, I know they're out there happening all the time um, because, you know, because I've been there and caught them on, on, on lucky occasions. But I think, um, I just think it's that, it's, it's that incredible potential that's out there all the time. That, you know, I mean, um, uh, I just, I, th- I just think it's fantastic and uh, nothing captures it like, like street photography does. That's brilliant. Nick, Thank you very much for answering the questions on the Photo Mentors podcast this week. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. That's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks to Nick for being guest this week and for coming on. Really appreciate it. And I hope everybody out there listening has really got something from that interview. Once again, please share, subscribe, leave a review on the Photo Mentors podcast. You guys are all already really helping to get the podcast to grow. Hasn't gone unnoticed. So thank you to everybody who has supported it so far. See you next time.